y'all can have a seat. While you're being seated, I want everybody to lift up a hand who made a New Year's resolution already. All right? And how many of you have already, like, ruined that New Year's resolution? Yeah, see, I knew there would be some of you in here. It's confession time. That's right. See, I thought this year, I thought, you know, I'd really like for it to be a New Year's resolution that my family would eat healthier. And I haven't told them that because I knew that I would get some booze and, uh, you know, disagreements, not negotiable kind of thing. And so uh, that was kind of my New Year's resolution. And so last night as I'm cooking dinner, Joshua, my youngest, comes in and he says, Mom, I need to know what's for dinner because I need to know what the very first thing that's going to be on my tongue, what it's going to be for 2011. And I started to tell him and he goes, oh, wait a second. I forgot. This morning when I got up, the very first thing I did was eat a bunch of M&Ms. I was like, oh, we hadn't even, he hadn't even got out of bed on January the 1st. He's already ruined his New Year's resolution. So Mike, our pastor, um, my husband, that's kind of much more fun to say. Um, for me, anyway, you can't say it. Ha ha. Um, he is out doing, hopefully, um, scoping out and uh, trying to fill some staff positions that we have some holes in. And so you can pray for him today while he's out. But, you know, when your husband ask you to do something, you just say, yes, sir. Right, ladies? (laughs) See, y'all laughed at that. Wow. I thought I was going to get like a good strong, yeah, or amen or something, but oh, that's not a good start for the year. Ladies, I grew, I had the privilege of growing up in church pretty much all my life. And I've heard in Sunday school and, and discipleship lessons and so on and so forth, stories from the Bible. And I've memorized scripture. But it wasn't until probably the last five years that God has been taking me on this journey to understand his scripture as a whole, as a whole narrative. And I will tell you, as soon as that began, I began to put the whole story of God together. I began to see God in a whole new way. And my relationship became more vibrant. I began to understand his story and scriptures that I would read. I'd go, oh, that's what that means over here. So then I would become to get a little bit more understanding. And listen. I don't have a theology degree, and just because I sleep with the priest here doesn't mean when we lay in bed at night that it, like, transfers over, you know, onto my side of the bed, although I wish it did. That doesn't happen. God's story is very clear. If we take the time and intentionality and getting into it and learning it and understanding and letting himself reveal or letting him reveal himself to us. So I'm going to tell you a story today. We're going to start with creation, all right? So God, he existed before anything was created. And by his voice, when he spoke, things came into existence. In Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. God is the author of the story. The story is about him. It's told by him, and it is for him. And he created everything that exists. He hung the moon and the stars, and he calls them by name. He created the atmosphere and the stratosphere and the hydrosphere and any other sphere that you can think of he hung the planets and he hung the earth on just the right axis so that it wasn't too hot and it wasn't too cold he created the trees and the flowers and all vegetation and photosynthesis and metamorphosis and the animals that he created and all the other big scientific words that you learned in the third grade but you couldn't spell right he created all of that and he looked at all of his creation and he said what it is good well in his creation In his creativity as a holy God, he also created man and woman. And in his creativity and in his holiness, he designed man and woman 
to have a love relationship with him and to experience his presence and his intimacy. And he established with them guidelines for living. He put them in the garden and he said, this is what you are to do. Everything that you see, it's yours and it's for your pleasure. But there is one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you are not to touch or you are not to eat from. And so Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, it says in Genesis that they walked with God in the cool of the garden and they had an intimate relationship with him. Well, God, when he created man and woman, he also gave them the ability to choose. So trust and obedience were an integral prescription in the relationship and maintaining personal intimacy with God. Well, one day a serpent, the craftiest of all serpents or all beings and beasts comes to Eve and says, Did God actually say that you couldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? And Eve said, well, what he said was, is we could eat from any of the trees in the garden except for the one that's in the middle. We can't eat from it or touch it or we will surely die. And Satan said, you're not going to die. God knows that if you take the fruit from that tree and you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Eve was carried away by this temptation, and she took the fruit, which was not necessarily a poisonous apple, as some people think and get it confused with Snow White, but she took the fruit, and she ate it, and she gave some to Adam, and he ate it, and when they ate it, they knew they were naked. They knew shame. They knew guilt, and they knew fear, and they went and they hid from God. Well, so when God shows up to walk with them that day in the garden, God says, to them, where are you? As if he didn't know, right? Where are you? And they say, well, we were afraid because we were naked. And so we hid and God said to them, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat from? And like any two-year-old with chocolate all over their face, when you ask them, did you eat the cookie out of the cookie jar? Right? You think they own up to it? No, and they didn't take ownership for their sin either. Instead, what happened is Adam blamed Eve, and Eve blamed the serpent, and God cast judgment on them all. He had told them, if you disobey, you will surely die. See, the tragedy of the story is this, is because they rebelled, the intimacy and the presence of God that they once had fellowship with, they are now separated from. But in the midst of tragedy, God still loved his creation. They were the crown of his creation. And he intended to have a relationship with them. And he intended at this point to restore, to reconcile his crown of his creation back to himself. So that even when he cast judgment, he told that there would be a time that he would crush Satan. Well, the people on the earth began to multiply but so did the evil as well. There's a verse in Genesis chapter six. It says this, it says, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. But he found favor, or one man found favor with him, which was Noah. And Noah obeyed and trusted God and built an ark and did exactly what, Noah, what God had told him to do, to take two of every kind of animal. And God destroyed the earth with the flood. But after the flood, God established a covenant with man. And he chose a man who was 75 years old, who was named Abram. Well, Abram land, lived in the land of Ur, where the people there 
worshipped pagan gods. And God told him, I want you to go and I want you to leave your land. And I want you to go to a land that I'm going to reveal to you, that I'm going to show you. Well, Abram, he trusted God and he obeyed God and he left. And God said this to him. He said, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God established his covenant at that point to make a great nation so that all the other nations would not necessarily just know Abram's name, but would know God's name. Well, this covenant that he established was kind of hard to believe, and it seemed like absurd. It seemed like it was actually even a little bit empty. I mean, Sarah looks at her husband and says, do you know how old my husband is? I am not going to find pleasure in him. She will not be hired at Dayspring to write any kind of cards or Hallmark or anything like that. But it was the truth. I mean, she was just being honest, and she couldn't conceive any children either. They were old. So how was this covenant going to be about if they had no children? Well, God comes to Abram a second time, and he establishes this covenant again. And he says this, and he takes Abram, and he, he tells him to look out of the land. He says, Abram, I want you to look to the east, the north, the south, the west. I want you to look at all the land, every place that you see for you and your descendants. And I'm giving it to you. Your descendants will be so many, they're going to outnumber the sand. If you could count the sand, you would be able to count the number of descendants that you're going to have. He gave a sign to Abram at that time and told him about circumcision and that every male in his household was to be circumcised from the time that at age day eight when they were born that they were to be circumcised. So Abram goes back and all of his servants, all of his male servants, they're circumcised as a sign from God of his covenant. Well, when Abram's 99 years old, God comes to Abram one more time. Sarah laughs at the time. She said, this is completely impossible. And it is told to her, nothing is impossible with God. And when Abram is 100 years old, he has a son named Isaac. And God tells him when when Isaac becomes older, Abram, I want you to take your son, the one that you love. I want you to take him. I want you to lay him on the altar and I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham trusted God and he obeyed God. So he took Isaac. They went on their journey and they went together and they cut down the wood. Well, you know, Isaac, I mean, he's not clueless. You know, they're on their journey and he says, hey, uh, dad, um, wait a second here. I see that, you know, we have, we have the wood for the fire, for the offering, but where's the lamb for the offering? And God, or Abraham looks to his son and says to him, God will provide for himself a lamb. And he did. When Abram went to sacrifice his son in the thicket, there was the animal for the offering that God had provided. You see, God established his covenant and his promise to make a great nation through Abraham. And Isaac grew up and God established his covenant with Isaac. And Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And then God chose Jacob and said, I'm going to establish my covenant with you, Jacob. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And God changed Jacob's name. Listen, he changed his name to Israel, who would become God's chosen people, the Hebrews, the Jews, that are referred to all throughout Scripture. Well, Jacob had 12 sons, who later on would be named the 12 tribes in the land. Well, 11 of these sons, they didn't care so much for one of his sons, Joseph, who Jacob showed favor to. So they got together and they schemed. They decided to get rid of Joseph. First, they thought they would kill him, but then they thought otherwise and they thought they would just sell him off. Well, Joseph gets taken away to the land of Egypt where he's held prisoner. And while he is there, he gains favor 
with Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is having these dreams in this land of Egypt that he rules. And he doesn't understand what they mean. And he's been taunted by them. And he hears about Joseph. And through God's strength, Joseph interprets these dreams for Pharaoh. And he tells them there's going to be a famine in the land. It's going to last for seven years. Because God, or Joseph trusted God and through his strength, he was able to lead the land of Egypt to collect enough grain so that when the famine come, they had plenty for their people to eat. Well, Jacob and his family are back in the land of Canaan, and the famine hits. They have no food. And God tells Jacob, don't be afraid to go to the land of Egypt. And so Jacob takes his family into the land of Egypt. There's 66 of them. When he arrives, and if you count Joseph and his wife and his two sons, two sons, there's 70 of them total who now believe in God living in a foreign land of Egypt. Well, they began to multiply greatly. And it says that in the land that the Pharaohs became afraid and terrified of the Israelites and the amount and the number that they had. So they decided to oppress them and to make them their slaves. And so now the Israelites are now held in captivity. Well, while they are there, it is said that Pharaoh wanted to kill all the Hebrew children, but there was one child who was put in a basket to go float on the river. And Pharaoh's daughter is out by the Nile River, and she sees this basket and this baby, and she takes this baby. His name is Moses. And she raises him in the Egyptian palace. And Moses knows the Egyptian ways, and he also knows that he's a Hebrew, and, and, and he begins to see that, that these are his people, And he kills one of the Egyptians. And when he does, and it is found out, he flees into the wilderness. And while he is in the wilderness, God comes to him and charges him. And he says, Moses, my people, I hear them crying in the land of Egypt. You're going to be the one to lead them out. Once you look at this verse in Exodus chapter 6, it says this. It says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it to you for a possession because I am and the Lord. Well, you think it would be that easy, right? Well, Moses goes to Pharaoh. He says, hey, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, hey, no way. Well, not quite like that, but something like that. And so God sends 10 plagues upon the land of Egypt and Pharaoh still will not let the Israelites go. And so God tells Moses, this is what's going to happen. This is what I want my people to do. I want them to take a lamb, an unblemished lamb, And I want them to take the blood from this lamb and I want them to put it over the doorpost. And I want them to eat the meat. Because at night, I'm going to send an angel of death. And those who are covered in blood, the angel of death will pass over them. So those who believe and trusted in God did what he had said. Well, that day in the land of Egypt, crying and wailing is heard. Because all the firstborn in each family who did not have the blood over their doorpost, were killed. Pharaoh couldn't stand it so much. He said, I want the Israelites out now, now. Matter of fact, it says that they had to leave so fast, they couldn't even add the yeast to their bread. So the bread was unleavened. So when they leave and God tells them, you're going to celebrate this time, celebration of Passover, and you will remember that by the blood 
death passed over you. And you will remember when you eat the bread, you will remember that quick obedience is demanded from you when God calls you out. And so God took them into the wilderness and they saw God work in incredible ways. They saw the Red Sea part for them and for their redemption and for their salvation. And they saw that Pharaoh's army and all of them were devoured by the Red Sea. They came to bitter water, which God made sweet. God gave them manna, bread from heaven, each day, just enough for them to eat. Now, you've got to remember, 70 Israelites went into Egypt, but when they came out several hundred years later, there was a million of them. I don't know about you, but when I'm cooking dinner at my house, I have three children. And when I sit it on the table, at least one of them is going to go, oh, that's what we're having for dinner tonight? And it better not be my husband, I can tell you that. So I don't know how you please that many Israelites. So the Israelites began to grumble and to complain. And Moses kept directing them back to God and all that God had done for them and reminding them everything that God had done for them. Well, they come into to the land of Canaan, the promised land, the land of Isaac, or Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they are there, but now there are enemies that are dwelling in the land. And they look into the land and they are afraid. And they refuse to go into the land that God had promised to them. So God said, all right, you will wander in the desert for 40 years. And they did. And in that wandering time, God gave them commandments. Ten commandments, you know them as, right? Not kill, steal, make idols, honor your father and mother, worship only me. He gave them these commandments so that they would know how to have a relationship with God on a vertical level and how to relate with people on a horizontal level. Well, the people lived in the land. They dwelt there until the generation died off. And God raised up a leader. His name was Joshua. And he told Joshua, Joshua, you're going to lead my people in this land. Now listen to me. Be strong and be courageous. Do not fear. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. And be careful to observe all the law that I have commanded you. So Joshua led the people into the land. Jericho walls fell down. They conquered many enemies as long as they were following God. And it wasn't because of their own strength. And the nations around saw this. The nations around began to fear the God of Israel. They knew that he was one God, that he was a living God. And as long as Israel followed him, then they had success. Well, Joshua, at the end of his time, he gathered all the people together. And he said, I want you to listen. Listen. Keep idols, keep foreign gods away. Don't worship them. And you know this verse in Joshua 24. It says this, I want you to choose. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. In Israel, all of Joshua's days followed God. After Joshua died, the people began to forget the law. And they began, there began a cycle that happened. And so what would happen was the people would follow God and they would kind of forget his ways and they would get away from God and God would send judgment. He would send a, somebody, an enemy to oppress them. So God would raise up a judge like Gideon and Gideon would lead them into peace again and they would follow God and then they would get away from God and then they wouldn't follow God anymore. And so God would send judgment again and someone would oppress them. So God would raise up a judge like Deborah and she would, she led them to defeat the army and they had peace again. 
But then they forgot God and they followed God and they didn't follow God and then God, and they got far away from God and then God sent judgment again and then God raised up a judge like Samson. You know these people. To lead the people into peace again. Well, the priests of the temple and even some of the judges, they, they didn't follow God wholeheartedly. It made God sick. For 300 years this went on. So God said, I'm going to raise up someone who will follow after me, a priest. And Hannah, who couldn't have children, began to pray that God would give her a child. And God did. And his name was Samuel. And when he was old enough, she took Samuel to Eli, the priest. And he lived there at the temple. And he worshipped and he served God. And he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And God spoke to Samuel. Well, the, the people of Israel, they wanted to be like the other nations. They didn't like who they were very much. They had an identity crisis, I suppose. They wanted to be like the other nations, and they wanted a king, and they wanted an army, and so they began to cry out, we want a king to lead us. God told Samuel, tell the people they don't want a king to lead them, but they refused, and they kept arguing. Yes, we do. We want a king. God said, all right, give them what they want. Here's who I want you to choose as king. I want you to anoint Saul to be king over the people. So Samuel anoints Saul. The very first battle that they go into, they were supposed to offer this sacrifice that God would bless before they would go into battle. Well, Saul is waiting. Samuel doesn't show up to offer the sacrifice. So Saul just decides, you know what? I'm king. I'll do it myself. So he takes it upon himself to offer the sacrifice. And when Samuel shows up, he says, what have you done? God is going to remove his hand from you. And no longer will you lead this kingdom. God is going to raise up somebody after his own heart. So God sends Samuel on a quest looking for who is going to be there. Are you tired yet? Do we need intermission, popcorn, coke, caffeine, something like that? Y'all with me? All right. So Samuel's on a quest to look for who's going to be the new king. And he's looking and he can't find him. He's looking at all the strong men. And finally God says, Samuel, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And he revealed to Samuel that David, this little shepherd boy, had been like, you know, out in the slingshot with rocks, killing lions and bears and making music on his harp. He's going to be the king of Israel. And Samuel anointed David. And David followed God. It says he was a man after God's heart. And God established his covenant with David. And he said, your kingdom will have no end. And your throne will never end. Well, David wanted to build a temple so that God would have a place to dwell among his people instead of this tabernacle that they would just set up like this tent and tear down wherever they went. He wanted to have a real building. And God said, no, that's going to be for your son Solomon to build. Well, David dies. Solomon becomes king. God says, hey, Solomon, you can ask for whatever you want. Solomon, thinking, I mean, he's got a wish list here, right? He says, you know what I want? I want wisdom. And God fills him with wisdom. And because he had such a pure heart, God then gave him all the wealth. Solomon was renowned for his wisdom and for his wealth. And he built a temple for God. It was magnificent. There was nothing ever again like it. And God's presence, when the temple was completed, came and dwelt. His glory dwelt there in the temple. So much and so powerful that the priest couldn't even enter into the the temple. And the people fell down on their face and they began to worship God saying, God's steadfast love. It's true. It's true. And then God told Solomon this. He said, you tell the people this. If my people who are called by my name 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. But, but if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you in this house that I've consecrated for my name, and I will cast you out of my sight. Well, Solomon had a son. His name was Rehoboam. And when Solomon died, Rehoboam became the leader now of Israel. And the people had been working hard and laboring, and they began crying out to Rehoboam. We don't want to work so hard. Ease up the labor, ease up the labor. So Rehoboam consulted the elders, and the elders said, yes, you need to ease the labor. And Rehoboam didn't like that, so he went and asked the young people, hey, what do you think? And the young people said, no, you need to increase the labor. And he followed what the young people said, so he increased the labor. And the people began to rebel so that the kingdom became divided. Remember the 12 sons that Jacob had became the 12 tribes in the land. Well, 10 tribes went to the north, and they became known as Israel. And their leader was Jeroboam, who had been a commander in Solomon's army. And two of the tribes, Benjamin and Judah, remained in the south, and they became known as Judah. Well, during this time, both Israel and Judah, they had great wealth from God. But it didn't matter. No matter what wealth they had, they oppressed the poor heavily. And God would send prophet after prophet to them. And he began to say, look, you're not worshiping me anymore with all of your heart. Matter of fact, some of you come together and you get together in assemblies and you sing these songs and you worship me, but then you come over here and these idols that you've created and carved out with your own hand, you also worship. And the people became farther and farther away from God. In the north, in Israel, not one king followed after God. And God sent a prophet named Hosea who told Israel, look, God has been like your husband. And now you're like a whore. You don't worship him. You're like going off and and being with all these other gods instead of the God who created you. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 7, God said this, my people are bent on turning away from me. In Hosea 13, 2, God said, and now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images and idols skillfully made of silver. Well, in the southern kingdom in Judah, they didn't fare much better. They had a few good kings. Josiah was a good king who, at the age of 18, he knew the temple was in ruins. And so he sent money just to, like, fix it up, you know, make it look better. It was kind of a sore icon in the land. And so when they did, they uncovered this book. And as they blow the dust off of this book, they realize, as they begin to read it, This is the book of the law of the Lord. And they take it to Josiah. And they read it to the king, Josiah. The book of the law of the Lord. And he begins to tear his clothes and to weep. And he begins to instruct all of the land of Judah to follow again after God. But it was a little bit too late. Jeremiah, also a prophet, Jeremiah 4.4. He told them this. He said, listen, circumcise yourselves before God. Remember the circumcision of Son of the Covenant? But now he's telling them, and remove the foreskin of your hearts. No longer is it just a ritualistic worship. It means nothing 
to me anymore, and I'm going to destroy you. You're going to be taken captive. I'm going to send Babylon and all the riches that you have and all of the wealth and all the plenty that you have, it's going to be gone, and you're going to be taken out of this land if you do not follow me, if you do not put these idols aside. But they did not listen. But even in the midst, when the prophets were telling them of the destruction that was going to happen, they also proclaimed a restoration that would eventually take place. God is in control because Jeremiah told them, hey, look, God is saying, even though this destruction is going to happen, he's saying, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, to prosper you, and not for evil, but for hope. He told them of salvation that would come because it was prophesied in Isaiah who told them there's going to be a sign and there's going to be a son who's born to a virgin and you're going to call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us and on his shoulders will be the government and his throne is going to be established forever so god spoke to them destruction and also hope there's two more things i want you to know that he spoke to them he also spoke this in jeremiah 31 31 it says this behold the days are coming declares the lord when i will make a new covenant he established a covenant with abraham He established a covenant with Moses. He established a covenant with David. He's going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make in the house of Israel. And I will put my law within them. No longer on stone tablets, but now... It will be written on their heart and I will be their God and they will be my people. And Ezekiel came and gave them this prophecy. He said, hey, look, God is going to put a new spirit within you. He's going to take out that heart of stone and his spirit is going to dwell in all people. Well, the people, they didn't follow. And God sent them into captivity. So what happened was Israel was a nation for about 200 years until Assyria took it over. And Judah did a little bit better, hanging on for 300 years until Babylon came and took over it all. So for 70 years, they are under Babylon control and they take them into exile. And they take the smartest people that they can. They take people like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who go into the land of Babylon, but they refuse to worship and bow down to the idols that the king has set up. They refuse to eat the meat the choice meat that was offered to idols. They set an example for all of Judah to know that even in persecution, even in suffering, God is still God alone. They took Daniel and threw him into a lion's den and God took him out. And people knew that this God of Judah, he's an amazing and great God. The people were in captivity there for 70 years. Then at the end of that 70 years, There was someone else who came and took control of the area. It was the Persian Empire. And Cyrus the Great became the leader. He took over the land, but he had a little bit different philosophy in the land. He believed that the captive people should be allowed to live in their land. And they should be allowed to worship their gods. And so he allowed them to go back into the land of Judah and Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel, that's hard to say, everybody say that. Yeah, Zerubbabel, he led the way with about 42,000 people into the land. And when he got there, he sought to rebuild the temple, although it never had the same splendor as Solomon's temple. And God's presence 
did not dwell there as it once had in Solomon's days. In Ezra, he was a priest. He uncovered the law and he made it his intention to study it and to read it and to know it and to teach it. And Nehemiah, who was working for the king, he heard about his people, the remnant, who was still, who was in Israel. And he heard how the walls were in ruins and everything was broken down. And it broke him so that he began to pray and to fast. And he went to the king and he asked permission to go back. And the king said, yeah, matter of fact, use all the timber here. Go and rebuild the walls. Reconstruct Jerusalem. And that's what they did. So the people went back. And they constructed. And after that, there is 400 years. Shh. Quiet. God didn't speak to them. He didn't reveal anything to them. They survived the Persian rule. They survived the Greek rule. They had a few years of independence before the Roman Empire took over. And God was silent until he sent an angel to Mary and said, you're going to have a child. She was a virgin. She'd never slept with a man. And you're going to name him Jesus. Jesus was born to a virgin and he was God's son. And he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. When he grew up, he began to teach the people in the land. Large crowds would follow him. 1.5 thousand people were following him and they were all hungry after he began teaching. And all they had were some fish and a little bit of bread. And, and God took it and Jesus took it and he multiplied it and he fed 5,000 people. Well, they saw this time. They were amazed and astounded. So they sought him out and they said, okay, we know you're a prophet, but are you the one sent from God? Because our fathers, I mean, in the wilderness, Moses gave them the sign of manna. And Jesus said to them, Moses didn't give you a sign of manna. God gave them the true bread. I am the bread of life. And those who belong to me will never hunger again. Jesus healed the blind. He healed the sick. He made the lame to walk. Jesus had power to meet human needs. Jesus went around the land. He cast out demons in people. Jesus had power over demons. At one point, Jesus and his disciples were on a, on a boat and there was a great storm that the disciples feared were going to overtake them while Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat. And they go and they wake him and Jesus wakes up and he goes to the storm and he says, hey, peace, be still. Jesus had power even over nature. One of Jesus' friends, Lazarus, became sick while Jesus was out of town. And when he returned, he found that he had died four days ago. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, were very upset. Jesus wept with them. He was so upset as well. And he went to the tomb and he told Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, who had once been dead, now came back to life. Jesus has power even over death. Well, Jesus gathered with his disciples and they, it was time for Passover, the celebration. Everybody was gathering in Jerusalem. And so they come into town and people began to think, you know what, he really is the Messiah. He really is the Savior. And they began to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna which means salvation is here, it's right now, you're it. And they began to sing his praises. Well, when they came into the town, Jesus goes to the temple, the temple that had been rebuilt. But it wasn't like it was before. What had happened is people began selling things outside the temple. They began to sell animals for sacrifices. They began to change money and they sold their grain and, and all kinds of things. And there wasn't a place of worship anymore. And Jesus completely destroyed it, turning over the tables, made the people angry. And he told them, I will destroy this temple. And in three days, I'm going to raise it back up again. But they didn't understand what he meant. 
Well, it's Passover time, and he met with his disciples, and he took the blood, and he took the bread, just like God had told them that they would celebrate. <coughs> and he gave it a new meaning. He said, I want you to take this blood. When you drink it, I want you to remember my blood that will cover you in your sins. And I want you to take this bread, and I want you to remember my body that will be broken for you. Well, after they celebrated Passover, they'd gone to a garden and prayed, and it was at that point that they sent some people to take Jesus and they arrested him. They took him before the council and they took him to this political leader, that political leader. They flip-flopped him everywhere. They couldn't find someone to testify against Jesus because they could find no guilt in him. So they turned him over to the people. The people decided to crucify him. So they took Jesus and they crucified him on a cross where he died. People died from suffocation having to bend down and raise back up to catch their breath. So eventually they would break the knees of the people. They didn't break Jesus' knees, but instead they took a spear and pierced it into his side. They took Jesus off the cross. They put him in a tomb. Three days later, two women go to that tomb. And the stone's been rolled away. There's an angel in the tomb that says, he's not here. He's risen. They run and they tell his followers, they tell his disciples, Jesus has risen. And Jesus appeared to his disciples eight times in the next 40 days. And he told them, listen, go, go and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And I will be with you always, always, even to the ends of the earth. So they went out on this mountain and Jesus told them, you're going to wait. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And as he was telling them to wait, for the, when the power would come upon them, they would go into all of Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. They watched Jesus ascend up into heaven. And so the disciples gathered together. 120 of them gathered. It was a time of Pentecost and celebration. So there were many people in the land. And as they were gathered together, there was a sound of a rush of a mighty wind. And they began to speak in a different language so that everyone who was there heard Jesus preached in his own language. And the Holy Spirit came upon them. And Peter, who had once been afraid, is now bold and standing up and preaching and telling people, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Repent and be baptized. And it says that 3,000 people that day were baptized and added to the church. The church began to meet in homes. They devoted themselves to prayer and to reading the scriptures and to fasting and encouraging one another and singing hymns. And instead of being the greedy people with all the wealth that they had, they began to bring their belongings and divide them up and to sell it and give to the poor. Well, the church began to grow. Amazingly, it began to grow. And there was a man named Saul who went around persecuting the Christians. He was a Jew and they were threatened by the growing number of Christians in the land. Well, Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the church and on his way, he encounters a blinding light who speaks to him. And when Saul asks who it is, says, I am Jesus, the one that you've been persecuting. Saul becomes a believer that day. His name is changed to Paul. And he goes around preaching Christ to the circumcised and the uncircumcised, to the Jews and to the Gentiles, so that every nation is hearing the gospel of Christ. And he tells them, hey, you know this sacrifice thing that you do, this whole sacrifice system? You listen to me. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your act of worship. And don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind so that you may know what the will of God is. And he told them, in Adam, you would have death, but also in Christ, you will be made alive. And people came to know Christ through Paul. He changed history. Well, many of the Christians were persecuted in that day. There was a man named John who was a believer and he was arrested for what he believed and for preaching about Christ. And he was old enough that they didn't, they didn't kill him, but instead they sentenced him to be in exile on an island called Patmos. And while he was there, Jesus spoke to him and said, everything that you're about to see about the future, everything I'm about to show you, I want you to write it down. I want you to give it to the believers. Now listen. And he wrote everything down. And Jesus said to him, write this. Behold, I'm standing at a door and I'm knocking. And if anyone will open the door, I will come in and be with him. And John saw many things that Jesus showed him. And he wrote them down in the book that we call Revelation. And in this vision that he saw, he saw creatures with wings that were flying around. And they were exclaiming, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And worthy is the Lamb. And worthy is the one who created all things. And by his will, all things that were created, they exist. And then the angels saw on the throne the one who sat there was holding a book in his hand. And they began to weep because it was sealed, closed. They didn't know who was worthy enough to open this book. And then one of the angels cried, Worthy is the one who was from the tribe of David, from Judah, the one who was slain, who by his blood, he bought men from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. He is the one who is worthy to open up the book with the names that are written in there of those who believe in God. And he heard Jesus say, I'm coming again. I'm coming soon. And when he did, John fell down before the angel. And the angel said, get up. Do not fall down before me. I'm a servant, just like you're a servant. Worship only God. For he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. And Jesus said, I am coming again quickly. And that's the story. You see, when we understand the story in its totality, we understand the sacrifices that are required in order to have a relationship with God. We understand the sin that entered in and how we are separated. We understand God in a new way, his steadfast love, how he pursues us, his faithfulness, his mercy, his grace when we don't deserve it. God. When I read your word, I am in awe of how much you love us. God, every time I turn the page, I believe it surprises me what I read and how I see you in a new way. How deep your love is, how wide, how high. God, I can't, I can't even begin to comprehend. God, this is a story that is about you. You are the author and you are the finisher. God, I'm so small compared to you in this story. And yet, God, you choose us as a vessel 
to proclaim it to people who don't know it. God, this isn't a book that we sit on the shelf, but oh God, wreck our heart. Destroy anything within us that would keep us from bringing glory and honor to your holy and deserving name. God, ruin us. Reveal to us, speak to us in those places where our heart needs to be circumcised. In places where where we're holding on instead of giving to you. Where we're living our own life instead of living for your glory. You are and you will always be God most high. Amen. You know, when the people, when they were held captive and they returned back to Jerusalem, it says that Ezra, he took the law and he had studied it and he was intended to teach it to the people and he took it. Nehemiah asked him to read it before all the people. And when he did, he told the people, listen, don't mourn, don't tear your clothes and weep like you've done before when you realize who you are. Instead, what I want you to do is I want you to celebrate and I want you to rejoice and I want you to stand. I want you to recognize all that God has done for you. So this morning as we end, what we want to do is we just want to invite you to stand and sing and celebration and let God show you everything that he's done and everything that he is.